Our second reading, our gospel lesson for today comes from the gospel of Matthew. This week as it does next week, both in Matthew 28, beginning in the 16th verse. As you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is the gospel of the Lord. Maybe see it in. So as we consider what this and these words of Jesus, this command and promise of Jesus, known as the Great Commission, means for us, as we consider what it looks like to live in the Easter promise as we hear in Acts today, I came across uh, twice throughout my study of the text, two different scholars quoting Joe Lemusio, who gives a picture, a word picture of what it looks like to live out in this Easter season, to be a follower of the risen Christ. In his book, If I Should Die Before I Live, Joe Lamusio writes, if I were to ask you to describe Easter without using any words, you can only use punctuation marks. Which punctuation mark would you use? He goes on to say how some might view Easter as a comma. It makes you stop. Pause, think, and listen, but then that's all it does for you. You move on. Others, he says, it's a big, bold end of the sentence period. That is, you thought you felt excited a couple weeks ago on Easter Sunday, but that was about it. You moved on. Lemusio will then describe Jesus' first disciples using the same kind of punctuation. He talks about how there was indeed a complete stop, of end of the sentence period for them on Good Friday when all of their expectations had come to an end. But that quickly moved to a question mark on Easter Sunday when there were reports and some of them saw with their own eyes an empty tomb. What does this mean? But then when they saw Jesus face to face, it moved to a massive, he writes, explanation point. And so I ask you to consider today, is this resurrection, this Easter, a a period, end of the sentence, a comma, you've moved on, a question mark for you in your life full of questions? Are you living a life marked by an explanation point 
like we see displayed for us in Acts chapter 4 today. For the, the lives of the disciples, as we read, have been transformed. In verse 31, it tells us, literally shaken. In the verse right before what we heard read for us today, when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered was shaken by the presence of the Holy Spirit. So they continued to speak the word of God with boldness, the scripture says. Their worldview was shaken. Their lives transformed. How they lived, how they lived with one another. In fact, don't get the idea that it was all roses and peaches and all good things. Because if you read earlier in the chapter, they had been... Some of them, before the council, the, the, those in charge. I like how one passage earlier in chapter 4 said that the council and the leaders were annoyed with these Christians for continuing to preach the resurrected Christ. So they were so annoyed that Christians were arrested and had to stand and give an account, and we're told not to continue to preach this word. They annoyed their fellow Jews. They annoyed the Romans. And yet, they continued to live with boldness. They were often accused of being way too exclusive. In fact, if you read some interesting descriptions of the early church in the first century, they were accused of being exclusive because they wouldn't, in the Roman world, worship the household gods or participate in those practices, these Christians. They were too exclusive in the Jewish world because they, they said that there's one Messiah, and his name is Jesus, and he's already come. They were too exclusive in their ethics. The Romans couldn't understand the Jews before them, and now these Christians who just kept their sexual life between a husband and a wife didn't make sense in that first century world to them. Too exclusive. Too Exclusive, and yet they were also noted with all of these exclusive titles. They were also observed to be generous, surprisingly welcoming, uncommonly welcoming to those who were servants or of lower status and generous with their, their money. And so... This is how the first century world saw the church, saw these early Christians. Often, those characteristics were annoying. And sometimes, they were respected. But either way, in the midst of whatever challenge they faced, they lived in the very presence of the risen Christ, the Holy Spirit, shook their lives and it changed how they lived. They would be impactful, living out this 
command of Jesus called the Great Commission, this command to go. But isn't it beautiful, the picture, and how they live boldly here in Acts 4? They showed the love of Christ by how they cared for one another, how they did life together. God brought heaven to earth with his very presence and it changed everything. And if you read about this boldness in verse 33, it's with this, as we heard in the English Standard Version, great power and great grace. That great power, that word for power there is where we get the word dynamite from. So this dynamic power of God's presence, but not just that. They didn't just shape their lives underneath God's word and his presence and his power. They also extended it with great grace. Or as one author put it, you could describe it as mega grace. And so their lives were marked with generosity and love and forgiveness for others. Great power and great grace. Not one or the other. Shaken were their lives by the very presence of the Holy Spirit. They lived quite literally lives marked and punctuated by explanation points. They didn't disregard God's authority or power. Neither did they stop extending grace. We like often in our day and age and probably likely then too just to have one or the other. But we are called to live shaken by God's presence, come under his authority and power and then be led to extend that mega grace and generosity. And notice, it looks like, as one author put it, kind of like a mundane life in some regard. They were just doing the things of life together, but that mundane life became a beautiful picture and testimony to the love of God that drew others in. One of my favorite authors and scholars right now, Larry Hurtado, talks about this and what a wonder it was that in the first three centuries, so many would come to Christ. It was this power and grace being extended for there were no cultural reasons that would affirm this to happen outside of the power of God. And we see this kind of generous hospitality becoming a work of evangelism through the centuries. I know last month was St. Patrick's Day, but I'll talk about Patrick, St. Patrick for just a moment. You probably know he'd been put into slavery in Ireland, and then finally escaped and went home to Great Britain, where there he became a priest and later a bishop. And at the, for that day and age, very old age of 48, felt called to go back to his captors, was called by God and brought the gospel to Ireland. And he did it in a way that scholar George Hunter puts wasn't the Roman model, which in many ways we're still led by today where presentations are made, 
Decisions are invited and then fellowship follows. Instead, he did what Hunter called the Celtic model where he brought to this uh, heathen world who hadn't heard of the Christian faith. He brought fellowship. He invited people to do life with his community and then ministered to them. And then ministered to them, had conversation about the truth of God's word and of who he is and what they confessed and believed and invited following those conversations a commitment to the one true God. And through this pattern, some say as many as 700 churches were planted. Notice how the early church were living out this kind of boldness. And they weren't afraid, as we hear early in the chapter, to make presentations, but they were also doing life together and welcoming people in and healing and serving those in need, all as an outgrowth of being shaken by the very presence of God, by the Holy Spirit. But not just in the first century or in a few centuries later with St. Patrick have lives been changed. In our own century, This week I was reading and then listening to the testimony of Rosario Butterfield, who was a professor of English and women's studies. And she, as she describes herself in many ways, was entrenched in the secular humanist worldview, who didn't just uh, think of Christians as some uh, other group over here, but she thought of them as menacing. This scholar who was named after the rosary thought of Christians as menacing. But through first a a letter and then an invitation to friendship with a pastor and his wife, Floyd, they became friends. And much like the Celtic model I just described, In friendship, not project, but in friendship, conversation ensued. And later, as an English professor, she would read the scriptures. And in reading the scriptures with uh, the eyes of a scholar and taking it in over time and through the years and through the conversation with her unlikely Christian friends, God through his word and through this friendship, the impossible would happen in her life. Her very worldview was shaken by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Her understanding of her identity was shaken to the core by God's power and his mega grace. And now she lives today as a follower of Jesus, this explanation point living is shaped by God's power and grace. And so to embrace this commission that God has given us, as I shared, it's uh, ready, set, and we'll talk about the go next week, but the ready, set includes our life together as Christians, allowing the power and grace of God to shake you. I know that there are hardships in your life as there were for many of those whom I just described. And the question will be, will those hardships be roadblocks for you or will you allow the work of the risen Christ 
to enter in. Maybe you have plenty of question marks. So I invite you into conversation with fellowship with Christians to engage those questions. And let the power of the Holy Spirit shake you with His presence and His mega grace. Let the historic reality of the resurrection not just be something that we look back upon, but remember that Christ is risen today. He is alive. And so I invite you to do life with other Christians. Even the mundane things of sharing food and a meal. And if that's too hard right now, a text or a phone call. Or come to a Bible study here on Sunday or Wednesday. Or on Zoom. Find a way to connect with fellow Christians and invite the power of the Holy Spirit and His mega grace to be extended to you. We're called to live and tune our lives, not to every whim of our opinion, but as A.W. Tozer pointed out, as pianos are tuned, not to uh, uh, this note over there or that note over there, but to one voice each string will be tuned to so that it can sing and play together. And so our voices, the unity of the body of Christ is in tune to the power of one exclusive claim that Jesus is the risen Christ, the Messiah. And so, like the early church, we might too be accused of exclusivity but it's based on that one loving God with His great power and great grace to invite us to live. Or as one 8 o'clock worshiper, a sister in Christ mentioned to me, you know, uh, she picked a whole different punctuation point. She said it's a semicolon, Easter is. It's a full stop and then a new beginning. Whatever punctuation mark you choose, I pray that your life would be punctuated by God's presence and power and great grace. Let's live these explanation bold lives because of what Christ has done. Amen.